Good morning and welcome to the VSA Capital 5-Minute Morning Minor on Wednesday the 23rd of February. And today we've got both Ollie and Paul on holiday. So I'm delighted to say we've got a special guest today. Um, my special guest today is Alison Turner, who is the head of VSA Mining Asset Management. Um, Alison, good morning. Good morning, Andrew. What a nice surprise to be able to talk to you on this podcast. A lovely sunny day for it. <laughs> we do quite often touch base on the weather. You're right. Look, there's not a lot of news today. And obviously, as, having you as a special guest, we want to obviously make good use of that value. The, the one bit of news out today is Rio, who have come out with absolutely record figures and a massive dividend payout. I mean, the market was expecting it anyway. And so the stock is, is up a few pence, but not a lot. Uh, I don't know if you've got any view particularly on not just necessarily the Rio figures, you may have some, um, but also on Rio longer term as a, as a as a stock. Is it one you would hold theoretically? We're not going to discuss what you do hold because that would be a bit too sensitive. But in theory, is it a stock you're positive on? Well, I think just looking through the numbers, you know, and I've, I, mean, I mean, of course, this is, you know, slightly backward looking. We're not, not looking too far back. Um, you know, the EBITDA numbers are very strong. And I think the thing that really stands out is the free cash flow. Um, they've 17.7 billion in free cash flow, 25.3 billion in cash from operations, but then only spending 7 billion on capex. Um, and that enables them to pay the kind of dividend that they've declared. Um, and clearly, you know, to some extent, shareholders will welcome that. But it's uh, all the way through since 2013, their capex has been below the cash from operations. So they've been generating positive free cash flow, using that to pay down debt and then to reward shareholders. Um, I guess as a mining company, the question is whether that is really a sustainable strategy through the cycle. Historically, what we've seen is mining companies tend to move through periods where capex is higher um, and free cash flow is perhaps negative and they and they're building up some net debt. And then other periods where, you know, it's the opposite, um, whereas Rio seems to have for a, for a really quite long period of time now uh, focused on generating positive free cash flow and keeping capex below the level of cash from operations. Um, so, yeah, just wondering what that means kind of really longer term, you know, not just looking out to next year where production guidance is more or less flat across most of their commodities, but, you know, even even much beyond that, you know, at what stage um, does that change? You know, if production's more or less flat, costs go up, maybe commodity prices aren't as strong as they've been this past year, um, it's hard to sort of see where we go from here. At the same time, you know, valuation metrics don't look massively stretched uh, based on the kind of results we're seeing. So I think it's kind of in that space of here's a stock that's really like throwing out cash and, and using that cash to reward shareholders. Um, but but kind of what's next in a way? Well, they, they've used the cash, as you say, to reward shareholders. But I mean, the whole industry has been starved of investment which is why there's a shortage of, of new product coming on stream, which is part of the reason why all these commodity prices are obviously being pushed up to, to record highs, isn't it? I think that's right. And I mean, historically, the mining sector has been quite quite strongly criticised for being very pro-cyclical in their investments. So what you'd like to see is them investing at the bottom of the cycle for each commodity. Um, but, you know, statistically, what they've done in the past is as the commodity price peaks, they chuck stacks of money into it. Never mind it takes like, five years to build a mine, by which time, you know, that particular commodity is 
not not at the peak anymore. Um, and likewise on M&A, you know, buying things at the top of the cycle rather than the bottom. What we've seen in this cycle is much more restraint, where commodity prices, you know, have really, uh, across many cases, seen very high levels. Um, and you haven't seen that that kind of capex commitments. You haven't seen that kind of a major M&A. Um, but but where does that leave the companies then in terms of growth? Um, and where does that leave the industry in terms of where the new projects come from? And I think you're right, you know, that's across the industry. Um, the other thing I've been looking at today is they've put some figures around their decarbonization spend. And this is one of the things we've been very aware of is what does it actually cost companies to decarbonize? And what does that mean for shareholder returns longer term? Because effectively, you shouldn't expect any return from that investment, right? It's just a pure cost. Um, they've got seven and a half billion earmarked for decarbonization spend between 2022 and 2030. Um, and they're using an internal carbon pricing to kind of justify, justify or incentivize that uh, spend. I mean, I think my gut feel on that is that's a smaller number than I expected. Um, it's not um, going to really sh hit shareholders hard in the pockets. Um, I guess is that a relief or does it mean, you know, there's, it's not, we're not there yet and it's the next decade we have to worry about. I'm not quite sure. I love the way you say seven and a half billion is a small number. <laughs> uh, but there's an interesting point. I mean, maybe we're not top of the cycle yet is one thing. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, you're right. But do, do you feel that M&A from the majors is going to take place? As you say, they've been holding back up till now, but you can't help but feel that the majors actually, what they've got to do is, is fill up their portfolio of, should we say, young assets that they can grow? And that actually, at some stage, we are going to break out into a bout of M&A. Yeah, I think if you look in the, in the gold sector, there's been much more active M&A market. You know, the gold sector's actually seen a lot happening uh, recently, a lot of consolidation, a lot of merger of equals, but also a lot of um, acquisitions of smaller companies and expiration, or sort of late stage expiration development companies. So it's certainly been happening in that subsector. It's not been happening so much across the base metals and the majors. Um, arguably, there's not that much out there in terms of the junior space as there once was either. You know, that's also a space that's been starved of funding. Um, well, that puts the values up, doesn't it? Um, yeah. You know, look, I think personally, I think we will see some M&A, but it may not be quite as wild as in the past because these guys are being much more cautious because of mistakes in the past. But at the end of the day, we've, we've got to bring on more supply or else there's just going to be a complete bottleneck in certain commodities. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that's a very realistic expectation. And, you know, very possibly companies will leave it. You know, at the moment, shareholders are still saying, great, you know, you're paying me dividends, you're re rewarding shareholders, capital constraints, we're loving to see it. You know, you're now starting to see co companies like Rio in a net cash position. Um, and perhaps you start to get more pressure from shareholders to say, hey, what are you going to actually do next? Um, what are we doing with all this cash? And and so, so you know, the M&A may come uh, uh, sort of later and and perhaps with unduly haste. I'll tell you, what, it is a five minute morning, Mana, but we are going to go on a bit longer. I've definitely got two more questions I want to ask you. The first is you mentioned there about costs going up, and actually, I was actually in a mine site on Monday. Uh, there aren't many mines in the UK, so most people can work out that it was Tungsten West down outside Plymouth. Uh, and one of the things I was discussing was costs, because obviously, you know, you know, the cost of energy has gone up dramatically and that hits mines and, and various other the cost of steel and that sort of thing. 
Uh, now, they felt comfortable that that was all going to be offset by the rise in the commodity prices. They're lucky. I mean, they, they've got tin and tungsten. Tungsten's been pretty strong. Tin has been phenomenally strong. Uh, and so they're relaxed. But do you think overall in the mining industry, are, are you worried at all about rising costs not being offset by the commodity prices at all? Or are you quite happy that the commodity prices have e- easily offset it? No, I'm, I, I'm very worried about rising costs. Um, and, um, you know, again, going back to the gold subsector, I think we're seeing it very significantly in that subsector um, and really across the board. You know, I think it's being masked by the commodity prices to some extent, um, but but it's, its input cost is labor. The flexibility of labor isn't there that used to be there. You know, maybe that's a, still a relatively short term issue. Um, but people are not able to fly in, fly out like they used to. Um, and, and that's kind of still, you know, pretty much the case. There's a lot of um, just friction in terms of getting stuff to where it needs to be. Capital projects as well, you know, not only are they costing more, but but key components can easily be delayed. I mean, I think we're very much in that stage of the cycle um, on the cost front. And, and I don't think we're seeing it uh very significantly coming through in the numbers yet not to the extent that it's kind of rarely worrying the market um but i think you may see it more next year where perhaps the commodity prices having been so strong are more flat year on year um and so then the focus turns more to okay well let's compare this year's results to last year oh the one thing that's changed is costs yeah so it's not not all rosy in the garden is it quite uh, and then, look, the final question I've got to ask, um, you know, where and without giving away what you're doing in the portfolio, so to speak, or advising on the portfolio, uh, yeah. where where do you see excitement in terms of a particular commodity? Power? I mean, are you are you bullish on gold, silver? Uh, do you hate base metals? Do you like some of these critical metals? You know, you and I, I often talk to you about vanadium. I don't think you've been totally convinced. Uh, lithium obviously has gone ballistic. Is that going to come back? What's your view generally on some of these commodities? Yeah, you know, we're looking for little pockets of excitement. I think what's happening in uranium is pretty interesting. Um, you know, it, it's sort of been a story that uh, people have kind of talked a bit, but everyone's always a bit worried about, ah, but the West is actually, you know, getting rid of nuclear. Um, and I think that's changed pretty dramatically over the past year, you know, with the, with the French announcements, for example, you know, quite a significant shift um, in the longer term demand. And and the supply hasn't come to the table as yet. You know, there, there are quite a few people with projects on the on the cards, but but nothing's really coming. And uh, and Cameco is uh, treading very, very carefully in terms of um, bringing up, bringing supply back online. Um, so we're excited about that. Um, I think that, as you say, you know, kind of silver and there's some other, uh, you know, pockets of value, um, reasonably cautious on where base metals are, um, in, not necessarily with immediate term, um, but just looking at where they have been historically and what that means for returns in those sectors. Um, you know, margins are very high um, and, and um, the, the prices are well above the incentive price for new capacity. So historically, that's a signal to you know tread with a bit more caution. Okay, one final question, then I'll, I'll let you go. But two commodities that have gone absolutely ballistic in the last 12 months are lithium and tin. Uh, yeah. Lithium at sort of 65,000, which is just extraordinary. Tin at 44,000. 
it, you know, can they go? I mean, I personally think lithium, I mean, we have a long term, VSA Capital as the investment bank, a long term price, I think, of about 14,000 against 65. I mean, yeah. can it go higher or is it just a short term squeeze? And tin, actually, you know, I'm hearing some people saying it go to 250,000 because, you know, yeah. the amount of tin used in an iPhone is so small, no one really cares. And there's a complete crunch in supply. What about those two commodities? Just give me a quick view on both. Well, I, I mean, I think I'll talk more about lithium than tin because I know the market, you know, better. Um, but certainly in terms of whether there's any elasticity on the demand side, um, you would expect yes. You know, um, as it is, electric vehicles, which is the key, you know, driver there, are, are not cheap and they struggle to compete with with conventional cars. So you you can't afford the price to you know move to the kind of levels it is and stay there and not think that that's going to have an impact on how people start to think about uh, about demand. But I mean that obviously doesn't impact overnight. So um, you know there it sits on the supply side as well. You know your fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand, something like that is not an unreasonable price because. Um, fundamentally, lithium, uh, you know, for, in the form of spodumene is not particularly rare. So it's just a question of, you know, how long does it take to get a, pro a project ramping up, get it out the ground, uh, and is the conversion capacity there? Um, so, you know, how long that takes to return from stratospheric levels down to a more sensible long-term price is anyone's guess in a way. Um, but that's certainly the direction that we would expect to see it move. Mm. And so you're going to skip on my tin question. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to skip on your tin question. I'll give you my answer is that I actually I think it will go higher short term. I think the real key to tin is that I don't see it ever really going back below 25,000. Um, and if it doesn't go back below that, most of these tin mines make a phenomenal amount of money, particularly the tin mines down in Cornwall, which is of particular interest to me. But on that note, Alison, look, thanks for coming on. It's fascinating. Uh, if anybody listening to this has any other questions, I'm sure that Alison will be happy to try and answer them. Um, but it was great to have a special guest on this morning. Thank you, Alison. Absolute pleasure.